Will God ever give you more than you can handle? Your answer to that question reflects a lot of your understanding of God's word, of the history of God's people. There are times in all of our lives when the pressure that God allows for us and upon us is great. It's as if at times that God is saying to us, get down, get down, get down on your knees because the safest place is a place of dependence. I want you to turn please to Psalm chapter 4 where David once again in another chapter of his life is driven by God down on his knees. He has at another in another circumstance, he's in a different situation than he was in the passage we looked at last week. It's not a family issue, it's a national issue. Some of the commentators suggest it was a time of drought, three years of drought. And as the economy was failing, and as the geography was being turned upside down and, and drought was impacting every person, the pressure, the concern raised by the people was weighing down upon David's shoulders. He was a leader. He was the king. He was the one in charge. And people, as it were, were wondering, what's happening? How could God's anointed be on the throne? How could the, God's choice for a king be leading us when we're facing this difficulty? Psalm 4, Psalm 4. David cries out, answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. In your anger, do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have at this moment, on this day, in this place, to consider your claims, to consider your word. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray that your word would be open to us today, that by your Holy Spirit, who guided in the writing of it, that we would be guided to understand it and then to be able to apply it. Father, there are many of us in situations filled with perplexity. We are feeling overwhelmed and we need your help to restore perspective. We need your perspective on our life situation. So now, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts collectively together would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. This prayer of David is prayed, it appears, as you read it through and reread it through at the close of a day. He's been reflecting, he's been pondering the situation that he's facing. He's in charge. He doesn't know what to do. He's responsible. 
but the responsibility has taken him out. And as night approaches, he is tempted to brood or to dwell on past wrongs and some of his present difficulties. The, the approach of night is, is challenging him, and he is forced to come to a decision. He has to decide tonight, as it were, is my faith in God real? Do I trust God, despite the fact that I'm in a very difficult and dark circumstance? That's the question before many of us today. Do we trust God? Will God ever give us more than we can handle? The Scripture's answer is yes. God will give us more than we can handle because he drives us to our knees in dependence upon him. What does it take to get you or me to bow our knees before God? For some of us, it takes a lot of pressure. We stay defiantly upright while our circumstances are difficult and we're, we're quite capable. And we, we, we say to God, as it were, by not demonstrating dependence, and we say to others, uh, I'm just fine, I'm doing okay. And God is saying, listen, get on your knees. Call upon me. Well, this psalm is, of course, as part of a collection of psalms. The psalms have been teaching us who God is, how he's communicated with us, and how we may communicate with him. These themes are woven together again and again and again. And again tonight, we will look at this approach. How does this book encourage us to burn with holy passion for God? How does this book of Hebrew poetry, which some of us may not be into poetry, but how does this book of, of poetry ignite a flame Rekindle a heart for God. Rekindle a passion for God. That's why it's here, inspired by the Spirit of God. St. Augustine, who lived from 354 to 430 A.D., as he describes in his book Confessions, in reading this passage uh, through, particularly Psalm 4, he, he writes, How loudly I cried out to you, my God, as I read the Psalms of David, songs full of faith, outbursts of devotion, with no room in them for the breath of pride. How loudly I began to cry out to you in these psalms. How I was inflamed by them with love for you and fired to recite them to the whole world were I able as a remedy against human pride. What a testimony. The, the, the psalms fired him up. The psalms encouraged him. The psalms pressed him to declare his dependence and God used him with his pen and with his voice to declare the power of our saving God. He is Savior. We've been singing about that. And Augustine was given opportunity, as we are in so many new ways now with new technology, to declare to the whole world that Jesus is the only way. That the only way out of difficulty is to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Don't try to go it alone. Don't be self-sufficient. Don't say at the end of your life, I did it my way. If you are, if you're, that's your goal, if that's your attempt, you will not be ending up in heaven. This psalm has some great counsel. It is written and penned and described as being for the director of music. You can see the little inscription there below the title, with stringed instruments. So those of you who play stringed instruments, get them out. We can sing along. 
It's a psalm of David. It's one of his heartfelt prayers poured out to God in this situation. What counsel does he give us? What can we learn as we read through this prayer as night falls and as it were the weight of the entire nation, the problems of leading a country? Anybody have that challenge? Any world leaders here today? No national leaders. I thought I saw a mayor or somebody, but possibly. Anyway, welcome here. Uh, This is a, a, a song, this is a prayer when the perplexing situation in your world gets too much. Lesson one. Commit your distresses to God. Godly counsel. Not only in Psalm 4, but running through the Scripture, we are urged by God to commit our situation, to commit our anxieties, the things that are burdening us, to Him. He already knows. Yet He invites us to come. And so notice the urgency as David bursts into this prayer. And I I want you to notice that as you read through the Psalms. There is no formality, as it were, to the prayers. There is structure, but there is no formality. There is urgency, but there's not formality. So without any introduction, without any indication at first who he's praying to, what's the first word out of his mouth? Answer me when I call to you. Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. In short, David is saying, help. Help me. I need your help. And as he pours out his heart to God, as he draws near to God with the the burden and the desire that God would draw near to him in his situation, he is inviting the presence of God and he roots this prayer in who God is. You cannot pray properly to a God you do not know. The more you and I know about God, the more attributes or characteristics of God that we know, the better we know God, the more accurate will we pray. The more honestly will we pray. The more help we'll gain because we realize what resources are available to us through Jesus Christ as he's revealed himself to us in his word. Do you need God's help? I know I do. I know we do. Answer me. When I call to you, give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me. The one attribute of God that I'm, as it were, hanging on, I'm holding on to everything, is the mercy of God, and I'm resting my prayer in who God is. He's righteous. What he does in my life, what he does in my family, what he does in my world is a reflection of the fact that he is right. I am unrighteous, but he is righteous. I may trust him. I may lean hard upon him. Answer me. David needs God's help, and he, as he pleads for this mercy at the end of verse 1, he's really combining three ideas in this one request. First of all, he's using the idea of condescending to take note of. In other words, God, would you, though you, are, you reign over heaven and earth, Would you take notice of my situation? 
Would you engage yourself as the Lord God of heaven and earth? Would you engage with me? Because he has a personal relationship. We talk about that in the New Testament, or at least in New Testament language, of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. David had a personal relationship with God. The heaven, later in the Psalms we read, the heaven, even the heaven of heavens, cannot contain God. Yet David is pleading with God to take notice of him. A number of years ago, J.B. Phillips wrote a book entitled, Your God is Too Small. Not God is too small, but your God is too small. Isn't that true for us? Sometimes we, we forget who God is. We need a clearer vision. So this plea for mercy involves, first of all, a condescension, an awareness by this great God of our situation, and then this offer of goodwill, this experience of goodwill. God longs to bless us. David knows that, and he, he is going to the source of all blessing. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy praise. So he's inviting God. He's saying, Lord, how do I access your blessing? What is the way that I may get your help for my present situation? And the root issue, the core issue, is that of mercy. What is mercy? What is the mercy of God? It's entirely free and 100% undeserved. It's God's help that you can't earn you can't pay for, but it's available to you and to us today through the Lord Jesus Christ. So David's present prayer, his counsel, his instruction and admonition to us this morning would be, take your situation, all of it, all of your distresses, whatever is vexing your heart, whatever is troubling your mind, at whatever level, and bring it to God and draw from him what is needed. Secondly, in the next verse, he turns his attention to these individuals who are causing him some difficulty. And my challenge, my, the, the, the lesson I want you to consider, I want us to look at, is the, the, the statement of confronting our delusions of God. In prayer, when God drives you to your knees, you must come to terms with who God is. And if you have any false ideas, and we all have picked up false ideas about God from different places. We, we think, in fact, in our, in our circles, I mean, I was raised, I was in church before I was even born. Anybody like that? Lots of testimonies like that? You've been, you were in church for a lot of years. And we think, well, what I believe is, is from the Bible. Anybody say amen to that? And, and, and the Bible's our final authority for faith and practice. And yet it's it, it somehow through circumstances, somehow through even sermons, possibly, we could pick up false ideas. We could, as it were, make God in our own image. Have a wrong idea of who God is. David turns his attention to those in his life who are distracting him. Their ideas about God, their misperceptions that they are throwing into the conversation that they are engaging him with are affecting him. 
And so he turns to this group and says, all right, how long, O oh men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long are you going to try to, to turn me away from God? That's the issue. You see, a wrong view of God will turn you away from him. I've had communication this week with, with people who are struggling with relationships where people in their lives are trying to turn them away from Christ. They're, they're, they're not neutral. They're not accepting this newfound faith declared fairly recently before a watching world and skeptical family. And so they're doing what they can, they're saying what they can to engage this person and, and trying to draw them away from their love for Christ. How do you respond to that? How long? How long, oh man, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? How long are you going to do that? And David, of course, as here as the national leader, let's set it back in the context, he's saying to these false leaders, do you think false gods are going to help us? Re read through the minor prophets if you haven't. Read through the book of Isaiah, one of the great prophets of Israel, who says to people, it, it's strange what people do with idolatry. Let's use this pencil as an illustration. They take themselves a piece of wood, they cut down a tree, the one end of the tree they put into the fire to keep themselves warm, and the other end of the tree they cut off and they shape it into an idol. So they're warming themselves with the, the bottom end of the tree and they're worshiping the top end of the tree. And he says to them, listen, what help will that idol give you when trouble comes? And he uses the picture of an invading army and as the army comes in with their cavalry and their horses and chariots, the, the ground begins to tremble and Isaiah says to them, listen, you better be holding on to your gods, small, small g, because your God certainly won't hold on to you. I ask you this morning, are you holding on to God or is God holding on to you? So different, isn't it? To rest in his care, to know that he is the true God and that my life, my situation is in his hands. He knows. He knows. So I ask all of us this morning, are you seeking the true God? Are you seeking false gods? He says to this same, and then he puts a little pause. Notice that word selah again. It's beginning to be included as an act of interruption. Pause. And think about this. Reflect on this truth. And then he has some counsel for them. And he says to this same group, you need to know something. You need to know something that you don't know. Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Wow. God had a relationship with David. You follow? Does the weight of that encourage you? Does the truth of that encourage your heart this morning? It's not that David had a relationship with God. God had a relationship with David. The Lord God who made heaven and earth cared enough about this king on a little chunk of property at the east end of the Mediterranean. Amazing. You need to know this. You, 
you, you individuals who are pursuing false gods, the Lord has sanctified, that's the idea, he has set apart the godly for himself. They belong to him. It's great to belong to someone else when that someone else is God. So I ask you this morning, those of you who claim to be followers of Christ, do you belong to yourself? Or do you belong to Christ? You see, the issue, if, if Jesus is Lord, it means I've surrendered. I've run up the white flag and I've said, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I'm not my own. I lay me down, I'm not my own, right? That's who we are called to be. Know this. Know this. The Lord has set apart the godly for himself and you folks who are seeking false gods. The Lord will hear when I call to him. How does David know that? Past experience of answered prayer. Past experience of answered prayer. What is your testimony? Are you journaling what God is doing in your life? Are you tracking and seeing as, as David, or as the author in, in Psalm 1 had already said, the Lord, verse, chapter 1, verse 6, look back for a moment. Psalm 1, 6, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. Have you been tracking God's hand on your life? Now, sometimes we don't like the plan. Sometimes we're over here and God's plan is over there and we have to repent and line up with God again. Anybody been there? We have a testimony time? But as for God, his way is perfect and I have to learn and, and relearn and I'm going back to school with God one more time to learn that his way is perfect. And that I can trust him. I may trust him. I choose to trust him. Though I don't understand all that he's doing in my life. Though I'm mystified by the circumstances he's allowed, though he slays me, Job said, I'll still trust him. I'll still trust him. Why? He's worthy of my trust. He's a righteous God. What is in the king's interest is in God's interest. God loved and served David. It's amazing. We love and serve him because he first loved us. God is engaged with you. So I ask you, do you have a personal relationship with Christ? Personal. What's this third counsel? In your anger, do not sin. Confess your defiance to God. Lord, I have been shaking my fist at you too long. I bring my fist down, I put my hands together, and I bow low before you. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. If you, if you want God's help, how are you going to get God's help if you're constantly shaking your fist at him, frustrated with what he's allowing? No, God calls for humility. God resists the proud, the proud person the proud family, the proud church, the proud country, but he gives grace to the humble. So we're urged, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, get low before God, get down on your knees before God, and he will exalt you in due time. He'll take over. He'll lift you up when it's time to lift you up and bring you forward in his plan. So what's this challenge? 
What's his reminder to us? In your anger, do not sin. Anybody here get angry? Two or three, four, five. I see that hand, right? We'll have a little group, we'll have a little support group afterwards, those of us who get angry. In your anger, we all get angry. Different things make us angry. Amen to that? In your anger, here's the issue. Don't sin. Why? Because when, I'm, in ang- when I'm, I'm under the control of anger, I'm in a risky territory. It's easy to step over the line. Sinful anger. When you're on your beds, search your hearts and shut up. No, no, it said be silent. Be silent, right? There are times when we should be still before God. Prayer is not simply getting out your grocery list of requests. Prayer involves listening. If you have a relationship with God, if you have a relationship with another person, and you do all the talking, what kind of a relationship is that like? Person sits there. Mm-hmm. 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 Ever, ever had one of those conversations? It's really easy to have at your side. Mm-hmm. 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 God is saying, be still. Be still. David is saying, there's a time when you just need to search your own heart and be silent. Maybe, just maybe, God's trying to say something to our country with three years of famine. Maybe, just maybe, God has allowed this circumstance to get our attention. How often did Jesus use this expression, a rather curious expression, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What else would you do with your ears? What does he mean by that? There are times when you and I hear, but we're really not listening. God is speaking, we're not listening. We get ourselves a little bit in trouble at that, that point, right? What is David's counsel? Search your hearts, be silent. Be silent. Take a look at the places where you decide your conduct. Look at your thoughts. Look at your thought life. That's where the battle begins. What are you thinking in your mind? Look at your choices. What are you choosing? Look at your emotions. What are you feeling? Frank Delich wrote, the heart is the seat of the conscience, and the Spirit of God disguises himself as our own voice at times that we may see his exhortation, his counsel, and his wisdom well up out of our own stony heart. God has his way of getting our attention, isn't he? Be silent. John Chrysostom, an early church father, wrote these words, let us therefore study how to converse with God. Let us therefore study how to converse with God. Well, in this final section, what is David challenging us to do? Look at verse 6. Many are asking, 
Here's the question that's going through the kingdom. Who can show us any good? Things are bad. Things are difficult. Things are overwhelmed. Who can show us any good? What's the answer? God can. David just turns his face up and says, Lord, let the light of your face shine upon us. Here's where we claim our dependence upon God. We take time. We declare in prayer. We've taken inventory. We know the reality of our situation. We sought God's help. We've acknowledged our sin. Now it's time, as it were, to retake the territory, to retake the ground we've lost during the times when we were upset with God and angry, and we actually went backwards in our relationship with him. David said, oh, let, let's, let's take this ground again. Many are asking. People are saying, well, who can show us any good? Lord, you can. Let the light of your face shine upon us. Back in verse 5, offer right sacrifices. The first issue in my reapproach to God is understanding what sacrifices God is looking for. What may I bring to God? Not to appease his anger, because that was settled at the cross. The Lord laid on Jesus the sin of us all, our defiance, our rebellion, our sin was laid on Jesus at the cross. Now that I'm in the family, now that I'm a child of God, what sacrifices may I bring? Now that I'm restored, what does he say? Offer right sacrifices. It's possible to offer the wrong ones. What's God looking for? We'll develop that further, uh, even tonight. Uh, Have a singular trust in the Lord. This is a root issue. This is a huge issue in the mind of the early church leaders as they said to individual churches, read through Paul's counsel to the churches. And he says to them, listen, I, I married you to Christ. You're in, as it were, a marriage relationship. Who's trying to make the, break that marriage up? That's, that's the picture. I, I, I'm, I'm concerned about your loyalty. Who's dividing your loyalty with Christ? Joshua was clear. Pastor Kelvin quoted that from the baptismal tank with Joshua saying, as for me and my house, well, some of us will serve. No, he didn't say that. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the commitment we're making. What, what, what do we think of this shining face of God? Many are asking, who can show us any good? What shining face? As you look up at God, is his face shining, as it were, towards you? Is he pleased? Our pastor, with whom my wife and I served for many years in Toronto, used to say, what expression do you picture on God's face as he looks at your life right now? Wow, that was a searching question. Those of us as parents know that one look can change everything, right? Do you remember the occasion when Peter had denied Jesus? And he was so sure the night before that everything was great. Oh, Lord, I could understand these other losers. Well, that's not quite the word he used, but he said all these other people denying I will never deny you. Jesus said, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. Remember that prediction? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, I'll never do that. I'm so faithful. I'm such a loyal follower. 
what happens? Jesus is arrested and taken, and there in the courtyard, Peter is warming his hands by the fire. Little girl, little servant girl comes along and says, I know, I know you. You're one of Jesus' followers. Remember the occasion? And he's betrayed and he's found out. And then when the rooster crows, what does the text say? Jesus turned and looked at Peter. No words, no words, just the look of the master. And Peter broke in tears and went out and says he wept bitterly. What a contrast here. Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. How about this supersized joy from God? Ever had one of those supersized drinks? It's crazy, isn't it? The amount of fluid they put into those. You know, it's as if that much caffeine is good for you, but I mean, why not that much, right? That'll really make your day. You know, your family and friends and coworkers will know that you've had a fix from some fast food restaurant. What's he talking about here? The joy, the joy that God gives you is supersized. Look at it. You filled my heart with greater joy. Where did it come from? It's not from a great crop. It comes from you. More than when their grain and new wine abound. And then he concludes with this sense of settled safety with God. God is restoring him. Is that not our testimony this morning? God's bringing us back. We're putting down our fists. We're getting on our knees before him. And God is restoring us. God is renewing me. David himself prayed, Psalm 51, restoring to me the joy of my salvation. Verse 8, I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. True joy, true joy does not come from pleasant circumstances. True joy comes from God. Witness the testimony. Look at the prayer sheet of so many for whom we pray and ask for God's help and grace. How does God provide sustaining grace for those in our own congregation? Through his spirit. At times, not touching their circumstances one iota, not changing anything, but reminding them once again that he is God. Would you join me in prayer as we just ask God to settle our own hearts today? Whatever turmoil, whatever situation you're facing, you can pray. And may this place, and as we're led in singing in just a moment, may this be a place of renewal and restoration. May we find God calling us back. Oh, Father, we thank you for the invitation today to be renewed, to be restored, to come home to you. We pray, Father, that you would give us a fresh perspective of what you have, of what you desire for our lives. We pray that you would accomplish every good purpose in us. Lord, help us, we pray, to bend our knees, to bow our hearts, to yield to you in fresh ways. Guide us in our response, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.